Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. And so it was, we left our ship on the banks of the river and journeyed into the deserts of Nehekara. We found ourselves picking our way through the overgrown ruins of the Swamp of Terror, as it was known, that lies to the west of the River Mortis. At Sully's insistence, we had taken to sleeping during the hot days and travelling at night. He gave each of us a strange green lambent lantern to dangle from the backs of our camels to light our way in the night as his minions led us through the fetid, ruined landscape. We progressed slowly but steadily. On the third night, a thick fog suddenly descended, leaving us unable to see either the stars nor the moons above. Septimus, this is bad. There is a foulness on the air. Lady your blades, my brother. I did as Tamo advised, and pulled out the two daggers I bought back in Fruchal. I remember, though, that at that very moment I slid them out of their leather scabbards. A monstrous... Unholy growl rumbled out in the mist. At the sound, we heard Sully up ahead call out to everybody. Harken! It is the salty dog of the swamp, hound of Caden, herald of the Strigoi ghoul king Igvad, and bane of Morgheim. It bays for flesh blood, it howls for living flesh, and it has come for us. And... With that, he leapt from his camel and ran off into the fog. I looked at Tamo, but he only shook his head in confusion. At the second growl, Sully's minions too left us and likewise disappeared into the foggy miasma, just as all of our lanterns snuffed themselves out. And then, in the darkness, there began a distant drumming.
slowly grew closer and closer. At the sound, my camel immediately became limp and lay down as if in a deep sleep. And no matter how hard I kicked it, it would not awake. I alighted. All was black. I could not see my shipmates. But soon enough, I heard them all too clearly. And not only them, for out in the mist, unnatural voices were whispering and growling. At one point, I even thought I heard Sully's laugh. did not know which sounds were real and which were a figment of my imagination, until at last the screaming began, and I knew that we were doomed. I pulled out the tamo, but there came no reply. I held up one of my short blades. It shook uncontrollably in my hand as I stood there. With my other hand, I grabbed the hat that my tutor had given me and pulled it onto my head. I suddenly felt a cooling wave wash over me and the world began to move more slowly. I too moved, but like a stickleback in a stream, cutting through the night fast and sharp, and I immediately went towards the sound of the screams I had just heard. I could smell blood on the air. As I swam into the mist, I thought I saw hunched figures silhouetted in the fog, their clawed hands scraping against the ground as they scrambled about like beasts. They moved so slowly, though. Or perhaps it was I that moved too quickly. Whichever, I found it easy to come upon them and run them through, my blades thrusting more like arrows from one of the bows of Athol Lauren than the clumsy blade work of a mere man. And my foes were so torpid that it was as if the creatures didn't even know I was there. They lashed out clumsily, first this way, then the other, their poisonous claws so easy to avoid. I killed one as he feasted on the body of one of my shipmates, a man called Rally, a drunken brawler. Not an easy man to beat. I killed another as it lolloped towards one of the camels, neatly slicing its head from its shoulders. I too then moved to the camel. It was Tamo's, and it was covered in blood. There was the sound of gnawing coming from the far side of the beast, and I wasted not a moment in moving around it. I was greeted by another of these misshapen creatures, chewing on a spine still attached to a severed head. Before I could think, I found that my weapon 
I already skewered the skull of the flesh eater. It jerked and spasmed for a moment before curling up dead and releasing the morsel that had held in its talons only moments earlier. The head rolled onto the ground before coming to rest and facing me. It was Tamil. His eyes open wide in shock and fear. And I blacked out. And when I came to my senses, I was somewhere in the deep desert. The sun was rising and already scalded the air about me, even as it baked the sand beneath my feet. I looked behind me to see my footprints trailing off towards the horizon for miles and miles. I pulled off my hat, my brow streaming with sweat, and time jerked and jarred. The vultures that had been languidly circling above on the thermals suddenly twirled about at a dizzying speed. The contrails of sand that had been gently gliding past mere moments earlier now whipped up against my body like a cat of nine tails. I dropped to my knees and retched. And then retched again. Every pore of my skin becoming salt wet with sweat as I did so. It was then, only then, that I saw what I was holding. In my bald fist, I gripped the severed head of Tamo. I let it drop in shock, but then immediately picked it back up and tied it to my belt by his top knot. Don't ask me why, I know not. Suddenly, realization hit me. I was standing at the edge of a sandstorm. Before my eyes, I could see the wind whipping up the sand and throwing it hither and thither, the trails of sand particles swirling and whirling as eddies of dirt spiralled off before tumbling away back to the ground. And then, even over the sound of the gale, I heard the roar of thunder. I wrapped my desert robes about me so that only my eyes were exposed, pulled my hat back over my head, gripped it hard, and ran. My legs felt like jellied eels and my mind a manic mess. My conscious self became subsumed 
by animal panic, and into the heart of the sandstorm I ran, Tamo's head swinging back and forth as I did so. Don't ask me why, I know not. Perhaps I was running from death. Perhaps I was running towards it, but irrespective of which, I ran into the storm and it consumed me. My goodness, Master Tavernkeeper, however did you survive running into the heart of a sandstorm deep in the lands of Araby? I would say that it was a mixture of fortune, fate, and the heart of illusion that allowed me to survive this experience. Especially the latter. It was because the hat of illusion was slowing time around me that I survived the most immediate threats that the sandstorm could throw up. The larger pieces of debris that the storm whipped up and hurled at me, things that would normally have killed a man, seemed to arc slowly through the air for me, and were thus easy to avoid. Likewise with the heavier zephyrs of sand that would course through the air. In this way, I persisted. Admittedly, little better than a piece of driftwood in a sea storm that refuses to sink. But nonetheless, I persisted. Ock, and that is a skill in itself, to be true. For the quality of being able to survive, it's often an undervalued trait. Especially given that, without it, we, each of us, is nothing. Indeed, and survive I did, although for how long I was there I cannot say. But it was not a uh, sustainable state of affairs, let's say, and with each step the storm grew in its power to smother and overwhelm me, until the notion of simply giving up and sitting down to accept my fate began to take hold of me. But it was then, though, that I glimpsed my salvation, and the sputtering flame of life within me once more burned again, emboldened. And what did I see? You were about to say, no doubt, Heinrich. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I was. Well, I saw that at the very heart of the storm stood a crag of weathered smooth sandstone, and at its base, and I could not say whether they were made by hand and tool or by the desert winds themselves, had been carved out numerous small caves. Ach, truly, fortune and fate did favour you? Aye, fortune and fate. Anyway, I stumbled toward the nearest, dragging myself onwards even as my reserves of stamina were leached away by the winds. On and on I trudged, the sand a coffin around each footfall, until with the final exertion such as a drowning man makes in his last moment, I reached the smooth reprieve of the nearest cave and collapsed into it, immediately cracking my head on its low ceiling, knocking off my hat and knocking me off my feet. I lay on my back, staring at the darkness of the ceiling, my eyes having seen naught but sand for what felt like a lifetime. 
and I finally let go. Without the hat on, the low droning of the wind outside had become a roar, and the prickling sound of sound on stone, a shh, much as a mother makes to her bairn. I rolled onto my front and crawled further inside, my whiskered cheeks like a stubble-worn brush against the cave floor. And then, that was it. I had no more fight left in me, and the lullabies of darkness embraced me, and I slept. Och, I'd not heard these particular details before now, Septimus. What an experience. I cannot deny that it was a life-changing experience. But not for all that I had thus far suffered. Rather, it was for what happened next. I came to with a start, the mule of a cat in my ears. I coughed away the sun that had accumulated below my mouth, my cracked lips splitting and seeping blood as I did so. Again came the same feline sound, a full meow this time. I looked about and I swear I saw a black cat pierce me with its gaze before heading deeper into the cave and vanishing into its darkness. A modicum of strength returned to my limbs and I moved to follow the creature but instead found the shriveled corpse of another old worlder. He for he was a he by the look of his own beard that still clung to the shriveled dry skin over his jaw, was sat up against the wall of the cave. In one of his hands, one of his skeletal hands, he bore a book, a journal, and in the other, a leather pouch. And then I saw it. About his neck, he wore a pendant, a gold pendant, in the shape of an X. What? Isn't that the symbol of Ranald, the trickster god? Exactly. Indeed it was. My god, in point of fact. He to whom I am now a priest. I pay lip service to many gods, and even invoke their names from time to time. Old habits uh, die hard, you see. But it was Ranald that spoke to me then. It was Ranald that saved me. And it has been Ranald that has saved my life many times since. My goodness, I have never met a priest of Ranald. I did not know such even existed. I was going to tell you after you'd uh, killed Marco Broglio, the usurper of the city. But as we are at this point in my life story, I could not complete the tale without revealing all. Oh, yeah, I see. So, uh... So, so what did you do after finding this body? Well, first I searched the body for some water, but all he had was an empty water bottle with a hole in it. Fortunately, I still had a little left in my own flask and wet my lips with that. The storm still raged unabated outside, and so I began to go through his belongings, looking for anything that might help me in my plight. The first thing I opened was the pouch that he still held in his bony digits. This pouch. Feel free to uh, take a look. All I found is still in there 
although it's a little bit more well-thumbed than when I initially found it. Ach, I already know what's in there. But uh, Heinrich, why don't you open up his drawstrings and take a look inside? Oh, yeah, so I shall. but it is a, uh, a bunch of dice and uh, a deck of cards. Indeed, for is Ranald not also known as the gamester, the patron of gamblers and the fickle god of luck and fortune? And being lucky at cards is exactly how you got this here tavern, isn't it, Septimus? You clearly chose your god wisely. Ah, indeed, Cedric. Although I do not think I need much help from the God of Luck to beat most of the people here in Tabaro. Honestly, uh, the standard of cardsmanship here has never failed to disappoint me. But uh, there is more in the bag. What are all these pins and things that uh, look like keys on this uh, metal ring? Ah, why, that is a lockpick set. For is not Ranald also known as the Night Prowler, the patron of rogues and thieves? That particular set is actually one of two that I own. I have uh, lent the other set out to your comrade in arms, actually, the dwarf Sven Hammerhelm. Something told me that he will have need of it. Oh, yeah, I had uh, no idea. Ah, well, that is why dwarves make such better card players than men. They keep their cards to their chest until it is time to show their hand. Oh, yeah, I see. I mean, uh, I understand what you mean. But uh, shall we continue? What of the uh, journal that this uh, corpse was holding then? Ah, now, I'm afraid that that fared much worse. Almost all of the pages had desiccated up to the point that when I opened the book they immediately became a cloud of dust that swirled and tumbled out of the cave as it was drawn into the current of the sandstorm outside. However, the cover remained intact. Upon the front was written this, The Journal of Gustav Adelbrecht, a priest of Ranald, and upon the inside cover was written the following. The hunter calls to Tal to bring game into his sights. The sailor asks Manan to keep the storm away from his ship. The soldier pleads to Sigmar to keep them alive on the battlefield. But each of these is really dependent on luck. And that means that it is actually Ranald that ultimately answers all these prayers. And then there was one more thing. Upon the inside of the back cover was written a list of tenets that this uh, Gustav Adelbrecht upheld and believed in. The first, one coin in ten belongs to Ranald. The second, live by your wits, not your blade. The third, Violence should always be the last resort 
for once it is perpetrated, it closes the doors on many other paths. The fourth, the quick blade, the dagger, the stiletto will always beat the slow. The fifth, it is better to live free and die rather than suffer under oppression. The sixth, we are the guardians of those who cannot defend themselves. The seventh, it is a worthy thing to deprive the wealthy of their money whilst giving to those that are lacking. The eighth, betraying a fellow to the authorities is a cardinal sin. And the ninth, there may well be no honour amongst thieves, yet still trust in your brothers and sisters, for there is honour amongst Ronaldans. Now, the last five of these embody an aspect of Ranald we've not yet discussed, that of Ranald the Protector, champion of the underdog, redresser of the wrongs perpetrated by the powerful against the weak, and the torchbearer of freedom and justice. It is this aspect that calls to me most, but it is also the one that is most vilified by the powers that be, and the reason I must be careful whom I confide in. For I risk not only my own life, but those of my cabal of brothers across the old world, who work against the corrupt and the powerful. I am placing a great deal of trust in you all, but by the nods I am seeing, I know none of you shall betray this trust. To maintain this trust, all you have to do and say is nothing. I would recommend against angering the god of luck. The unlucky rarely last long in this world. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have my word, I shall not divulge this secret. But uh, I do have one final question. There is one aspect of Ranald you have not mentioned, and I hope this is uh, not telling. In Nordland, we often refer to your god as the, uh, well, as Ranald the Deceiver, the patron of charlatans and tricksters. <laughs> Indeed, the god of illusion and misdirection. There were no trinkets to this aspect of the god on the body of Gustav Adelbrecht, but uh, there didn't need to be, for I had brought my own. The hat of illusion that my tutor Ulrich Genscher had given me, and uh, it was no accident that it was he that gifted me it nor that I ended up in that cave. There is much more to tell uh, about both Genscher and Ranald. But uh, another time, back to the cave. Having recovered all I could from Adelbrecht, once more fatigue overcame me and I fell into unconsciousness. When I awoke, the sandstorm was over, but it was not this that brought me back to reality. It was the Arabian knife pressed against my throat.